0: Okay, so I know the past has been glorified, hyped up and all that. I know this. But did you ever think that maybe you missed your moment of history, a moment you were made for? I mean, back in the day, Nixon actually called a nerdy college professor, a man of letters, a scholar. He called him the most dangerous man in America. Dig it? The guy just said stuff. He said... Turn on, tune in, drop out, and people lost their stuff. Leary also said that women who seek to be equal to men, they lack ambition. Same time, black Panthers had refused to cower. Instead, they went up to the California state capitol waving rifles and shotguns around the place. Folk converged on the Woodstock Music Festival and forgot to set up any toilets. The Summer of Love. Almost 100,000 people descended on San Francisco. Jimi Hendrix, Janus Joplin, Jim Morrison. War protests, remember those? One of those actual war protests? Freedom marches. Real life, unironic hippies walking around doing unironic hippie stuff. Say what you will about the era. I didn't live it. But it seems like they had a spark, a fire, a hope that things could be different than what they are. But today we uncork a little bit of vintage spirit. You slide into those old bell bottoms. Snap Judgment proudly presents Raft of Passion. Passion. A single story about a very special journey. My name is Lynn Washington. Rise up, my brothers and sisters. Rise up because you're listening to Snap Judgment. Different ways you can actually turn on, tune in, and drop out, get rid of your phone, email, simply drift out to sea. We begin. Not exactly in the 60s, but close enough to not make any difference. And because of real life, this episode does contain descriptions of domestic abuse and sexual situations that may not be appropriate for younger listeners. Listener discretion is advised. Snap judgment.
1: So, um, one night, do you want me to tell that that one night or yeah, is even it, more?
2: Is it, is it hard for you to talk about uh, at all?
1: The... Well, a little bit, but not,
2: yeah. you know. The night her marriage came to an end, Mary was aboard her sailboat, the Yo-Ho-Ho.
1: So anyway, I'm anchored out on the boat by myself. And uh, this friend of mine, she got somebody to row her out to the boat. We sat and had some coffee and then we talked about things. She talked about her marriage and then I was telling her about my marriage and that I was thinking I needed to get a divorce.
2: Her husband Cass, a fisherman, was watching their three kids that night. They'd met at a bar when she was 22 and he was 48. And for over a decade they'd sailed together from port to port up and down the west coast.
1: I got caught up in him, and I got caught up in his life. I liked the life of a fisherman. I liked. I didn't want a 9-to-5 job ever in my life, never. He was, like, so free and so outspoken and so, what do I would say, charismatic. So I was to the point where I would follow him almost anywhere.
2: But this was the problem.
1: I was no longer happy just following his Ideas or his plans. I think I could not get something going for myself. I really wanted to be doing my own thing.
2: Mary had been having an affair, and she told her friend that night on the Yo-Ho-Ho.
1: There was another man in my life, and I thought there was another woman in his life. We were talking, just you know, letting it all out, and all of a sudden, I hear footsteps on the, the side of the yoho ho. And um, it was Cass. Right away, I was thinking, how long has he been on deck? How, how much has he heard?
2: Cass took Mary's friend ashore while Mary waited below deck until she heard his footsteps again.
1: I was thinking I really might need some protection. I wish I wasn't on the boat out here in the middle of the bay. He came back to the boat and right away, he was like overheard everything that we had talked about. He heard that there was this other man in my life, and he was like, I want to know who that person is. I want to kill him. Then he started pouring himself some scotch, which is his favorite drink, and he was, like, drinking scotch.
2: It wasn't the first time he'd hurt her. But that night, it felt different.
1: He got so that he was, like, grabbing me, and he started grabbing me around the throat, and he started strangling me, and I thought, you know, he's going to kill me. I had a feeling this is it. When he poured himself some more to drink, I managed to get up, and we there was a table in the middle of the yo-ho-ho. It was like a drop-leaf table. So I started around the table, but then he started around to get me. And so we went around the table like two or three times. He couldn't quite get me. And then I ran up the companionway up to the deck of the boat, and I jumped in that skiff that he'd come out in. I was trying to untie the lines to get the skiff loose so I could row ashore. He came up and at this point he was like really weaving. He was totally, totally drunk. He kind of fell into the skiff with me. And I just happened to have on this huge Indian sweater. And he grabbed the, the arm of the sweater and I managed to pull my arm free out of the sweater. And then I got up on the boat again and then I just like ran right to the bow of the boat and I leaped off the boat. I am a good swimmer, and it's a good thing I was, because when you got your clothes and your shoes on, it's not that easy. And it happened to be very low tide. I will never forget the low tide, the black mud, crawled ashore in the mud, and they got up on there, and I'm just filthy and full of mud. That was the point where I filed for divorce. It took that much, you know, before I really made a move. But I was, like, just glad to be alive at that point. You know, I I survived. I survived it.
2: Mary made her way to a Seven Eleven and called her sister to come pick her up. The next day, she was back at work.
1: I was working at Howard Johnson's as a waitress.
0: The
2: home of good, good food
1: is Howard Johnson's. The manager decided that I would just fold napkins because there was no shape to do anything else.
2: Howard Johnson's is such a friendly place to have good food.
1: Cass came into this banquet room where I was folding the napkins, and he accused me of calling the cops. He was so out of it, and I was like, uh, this is bad. I was afraid that he would not let me alone. He could attack me again, you know. He could assault me again. He was dangerous.
2: Cass left. Mary kept on working. Later, her manager called her into his office to take a phone call.
1: We weren't allowed to have personal telephone calls, so he wasn't happy about me getting a call.
2: The man on the other end of the line introduced himself as Dr. Santiago Genevez.
1: He was an anthropologist, and he had wanted to do this
2: study. Mary had no idea what the hell this man was talking about.
1: We were going to be a laboratory, but we were going to be on the water. We were going on a raft.
2: Something about crossing the Atlantic Ocean on a raft?
1: And he wanted me because I had navigation experience. I was like, no, there's no way. I'm not going to, you know, I can't. I've got three kids. I'm in the middle of a divorce.
2: But the next day, Santiago showed up at the restaurant with a briefcase.
1: He looked very young, although he was like 48 or 49 at the time. He had a wonderfully handsome face and look about him.
2: I keep trying to describe him to people. I'm like, he's kind of like, he's like Antonio Banderas mixed with Older Michael Douglas?
1: Yeah, I would say a Michael Douglas type. Yeah.
2: He demanded that they sit down.
1: He was an overwhelming presence in a way. (laughs) He was like not like the manager at Howard Johnson's. You know, this was a real man.
2: Santiago really was an anthropologist from a university in Mexico, and he was attempting a radical group experiment.
1: This was in the 70s, early 70s. It wasn't that strange.
2: These are not prisoners, and this is not a prison. They are college students.
1: A lot of people were doing, like, psychological experiments and tests.
0: The subject denies the evidence of his own eyes and yields to group influence. One, three.
2: Santiago's experiment required 11 people from all over the world. He wanted to study them as they shared close quarters on a raft drifting across the Atlantic.
1: He wanted to see what kind of conflict that would bring about, whether somebody would become violent, how would people of different nationalities and cultures get along together because he was interested in peace
2: Then Santiago pulled some blueprints from his briefcase.
1: And he opened up the plans and showed me the plans of this boat. And I was like, well, this is a really stable boat. You know, this is is not just a raft, this is a boat, except it's shaped like a raft. It looks like a raft on top, but it had these huge pontoons underneath, steel pontoons that were going to have tons of water in it so that it would give you stability. It won't sail like a boat, but, my God, it's, it's stable. It's not going to sink right away. So it's not a raft that's like Huck Finn took down the Mississippi River.
2: It was still a crazy idea, but also an opportunity for Mary to get away from Cass. The
1: timing was pretty perfect. I'll get away. That'll be great. The divorce would happen When we were at sea, I'll wake up one morning and then uh, I'll be free. Why not? This will be my own adventure. Yeah, get to fly to Madrid right away. Okay. (laughs) And then come back on a raft, going about two miles an hour. I realized that when we were over the the Atlantic Ocean on a plane. (laughs) I was like, oh my God, what have I done?
2: At a dock in the Canary Islands, off the coast of Spain, Mary saw the raft for the first time.
1: It was absolutely funny. It was hilarious. It was orange, it was purple, it was yellow. You know, it was totally colorful.
2: A Mexican artist had painted fish on the cabin in the middle of the deck. Santiago had named the raft the Akali.
1: And Akali was a Aztec word for the house on water.
2: The Akali was towed out into the current on May twelfth, nineteen seventy-three.
1: They dropped us, and there we are. You know, goodbye to the towboat.
0: When we return the raft of passion sails the high seas and things start to heat up. Stay tuned. Welcome back to Snap Judgment, the raft of passion episode. When last we left, the Akali, It just set sail on a journey across the Atlantic. Snap Judgment.
2: There were six women and five men on the raft, including Santiago. They were young, they were fit, they were foreign, and Mary was about to be single.
1: So, uh, well, I mean, I was 35, you know? It's like you're still hot-blooded.
2: At night, she slept inches away from the others in the raft's plywood cabin.
1: There was no air in there. It was really cramped.
2: During the days, she'd read books that Santiago had written, the only kind of entertainment allowed on the raft, which Mary didn't mind.
1: He was charming. He was smart. You know, he had kind of pulled himself up by his bootstraps. I sort of admired that in him.
2: When the heat got to her, She'd go for a swim. We'd swim
1: off the raft with a rope attached to us, but then we started seeing sharks behind us, so that ended that.
2: They lived on powdered mashed potatoes and hot dogs and the flying fish that occasionally landed on deck.
1: If you were on watch or you woke up early, you could go around the raft and collect all these flying fish and then you could fry them up.
2: Mary hadn't been at sea long when her divorce went through. She'd marked the day on her calendar.
1: I knew I was going to be free, and then I was free. Now I could start my life over and do what I want to do. It was kind of like a private moment. I didn't say anything to Santiago. I think I told Maria.
2: Maria was the captain of the raft, and she was also a participant in Santiago's experiment. Twice a day, she and Mary measured the angles of the sun and stars to figure out where they were.
1: So we had sort of a little bond due to that. We worked together together.
2: Maria was blonde, Swedish, quiet. She was the first female sea captain Mary had ever met.
1: It was like mind-boggling that there was a woman captain. She was really rare.
2: The raft's doctor was a woman too.
1: Doctors were always men. There were never women doctors. It took me a while before it sort of like dawned on me that this is possible. Women can be doctors. Why not?
2: But this was actually part of the experiment. Santiago had placed women in positions of authority on the raft to create tension with the men. He'd also selected people he considered sexually attractive.
1: He didn't tell us that right away. He was only studying human behavior at first.
2: <laughs> Santiago believed that violence was a result of sexual frustration so participants were encouraged to form new intimate relationships on the raft.
1: I thought it was a great idea because it gives you more freedom. It's just like having another friend, but it just happens to be that probably sex is part of it too.
2: The European press gave the experiments a nickname.
1: They called us a sex raft or the raft of passion.
2: There was plenty of hooking up on the raft. Where would sex even happen on the raft? I don't
1: We did have like a roof on top.
2: Every day, Santiago had them fill out surveys with questions like, who would you most like to sleep with on the raft? And then there were the drawings.
1: He was just supposed to draw a tree. Depending on how you drew your tree, it showed whether you were becoming more violent or less violent, I guess.
2: Like if this has more branches? It yeah, indigates. yeah.
1: It means you're more open and if it's a, 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 like a fir tree then you're uptight, you're closed in.
2: Mary kept her own observations in her diary.
1: Sunday, May 20th. Here we are on the sex raft sunbathing on the terrace. Tuesday, May 28th, heavy seas, winds of gale force, but felt very much in tune with it all. Thursday, June 7th, amazing how the days go by.
2: She shared a kiss with a Japanese man named Essoke. You kissed Essoke?
1: I guess I did. I sort of, unless, let me see whether, where did I read that?
2: But she had her eyes on someone else.
1: My estimation of Santiago has gone up since yesterday. He's more intelligent and something that I blotted out. I don't know what happened there.
2: Is it fair to say that you had a crush on Santiago? Oh,
1: definitely. It must have been very gradual, because all I remember is I sort of liked the sight of Santiago on the stern of the raft, you know, sucking in all the good air. I am hopelessly in love with this crazy, crazy man, and I feel his spirit moving me.
2: Santiago had already slept with one of the other participants, so why not marry?
1: When we were at sea, you know, he got tanner. His hair grew a little longer. He looked a little more like a hippie. He had a beard, and he had a little gray in the beard. Then I am drinking my coffee and smoking a cigarette when Santiago appeared nude. He'd been taking a bath on the poop deck. I am not embarrassed, really.
2: Sometimes, Mary and Santiago would share the watch, keeping an eye out for approaching ships as the sun went down.
1: If there's no clouds, it's just like the big orange ball and it goes down lower and lower. And then the light spreads out and then it gets a little darker and a little darker until it's totally dark unless there's a moon.
2: Sitting at the stern in the moonlight, they would talk. Once, Santiago gave her a kiss on the cheek.
1: You know, he was interested in my my life, where I grew up and how I grew up, and that I was sort of an adventurer like he was. I felt like I could say what I wanted to say with Santiago because that was part of his whole project, was to be able to be honest about your feelings. So... I tried to be honest.
2: One day, Santiago asked them to write an essay about someone else on the raft, and Mary chose him.
1: It was like uh, how I wanted to be shipwrecked on an island with Santiago by myself. All the things that we would do together, how the rest of the world wouldn't matter anymore, (laughs) how wonderful the sex would be. Well, I was a little embarrassed afterwards, you know. It's kind of like when you say something you want to take it back, but if you've written it down, you don't have any choice.
2: Later, Santiago came to speak with Mary, alone.
1: And he sort of thanked me. He was very grateful. He was a little surprised, but he also was like, he liked the fact that I liked him, you know. He didn't know quite how to treat me and I didn't quite know how to treat him.
2: As the days went on, Mary and her raft mates grew more and more comfortable.
1: You got so, if somebody was sitting next to you and you were outside, you didn't have to talk to them. People left you alone. You know, it didn't feel like you had to talk or socialize with everybody all the time.
2: This was not good for the experiment. Santiago wanted to study conflict. Everybody was getting along.
1: One of the things he always kept saying was, you're all in your own little shoes, meaning that we weren't establishing these relationships that he thought we should be establishing. I know he was under a lot of stress. He had to give these Reports back, you know, to Mexico City or whatever about what was going on on the raft. And he didn't really have a lot to report. He wanted something to happen.
2: So he decided to make something happen. He began to single out participants and berate them. Mary wrote in her diary
1: One day Santiago threw a bucket of water. Cold salt water in my face, and it ran down my collar.
2: Once, he slapped her in the face.
1: Santiago likes me. Of this, I am deeply relieved and grateful for, despite the fact that Santiago is vain, moody, abusive, demanding, and slightly insane.
2: Mary's relationship with Santiago was starting to feel a lot like her relationship with Cass, her ex-husband.
1: When I first met Santiago, I was like, oh, this is a really charismatic guy again. Oh, my God. I didn't think of it in terms of, oh, this is the same kind of guy. He had a confidence. He was strong. You know, he had very strong ideas. But Santiago was more, I would say, more manipulative. What bothered me about Santiago was that I was always having hopes that he was going to be really a principled uh, guy, not to totally beat myself up, but in a way I'm like, uh, wow, you know, like, there you did it again. You just went along with somebody, you know. You didn't say no, you know. I could have said no.
2: The raft, bobbing in the current, arrived in the Caribbean in late August. Mary knew it was hurricane season she wrote in her diary.
1: I would hate to go down with the ship unless it was a beautiful, meaningful death in Santiago's arms. (laughs) It felt like crawling. This is, you know, this comes out of your fantasies, right?
2: The weather was picking up, and Maria, the Swedish captain, didn't think it was safe to go on. So Santiago staged a mutiny on his own raft.
1: He announced that he was now the captain, that we would take, supposedly take orders from him and not Maria. To him, we were his children, you know, he liked total control over everybody. Santiago was just a dictator.
2: A couple nights later, Mary was having trouble sleeping.
1: You know, it's hot because we're in the Caribbean, so we just sort of tossing and turning. Anyway, somebody comes in and shakes Maria and tells her to wake up.
2: Something was happening on deck.
1: Maria was, like, kind of half-awake, and then uh, we went out on, onto the deck, climbed over everybody.
2: It wasn't a hurricane. It was a massive freighter and they were right in its path. Santiago, who was on watch, hadn't spotted it in time.
1: The lights would have shown you that they were coming right for us. But he didn't identify that soon enough, and it was dawn. So by the time he did, that ship was really close to us. It's not like they're going to get out of our way. We have to, But we can't get out of their way. We're too slow moving.
2: Maria shouted at Mary, get the emergency flares.
1: I was like thinking, oh my God, I hope we haven't used all the matches for our cigarettes. Shot up some flares, no response from the ship. It's still coming straight at us. Shooting up the flares on the radio, no response. This can't be happening to us. It's getting bigger and bigger, right, and closer to closer, and there's nothing we can do. We're totally, totally helpless.
2: They were about to be crushed, or worse.
1: If we were close, we would have been sucked up by their wake and gone down, we would have been underneath that boat and we would have all drowned, there's no way. Probably about the last batch of flares, two or three flares, that ship just slowly moved enough so it just barely went by us. It just veered slowly away. I remember Santiago, he had this, like, megaphone thing, you know, like a cheerleader or whatever, and he yelled at he goes, Why don't you watch where you're going? Screamed at them, and, you know, I mean, it was really ridiculous. Everything fell apart as far as any feelings that I had for him. It all fell apart.
2: After 101 days, the raft finally floated its way to Mexico.
1: The first thing usually you see, you see birds. You don't, you haven't seen land yet, but you know land is fairly close. It comes on gradually, like it'll be like a shadow in the distance. And then it gets more and more defined. And then all of a sudden, you know it's land. Oh my God, I can't believe it. You know, it's kind of like you cut off your ties to land, and then when you see it again, it's like, oh my gosh, this is scary. I'm gonna have to get back in there, you know, and start functioning like a normal person with a normal life. So many boats came to meet us, and we had so many people on the shore. Santiago had pulled out a nice, white, sparkling, clean pair of white shorts that he put on, bikini type, men, men bikini type, you know. And he looks, he's like preened like a, you know, like a little rooster. He's got his white trunks and the rest of us are like, you know, we just look really, really rough. Somehow this seems to be the way my life goes. It's kind of like fate that I'm out here again with this guy, this kind of guy. I sort of like got a little bit like, when are you ever going to learn?
2: I think you're being a bit hard on yourself, you know? Like, I am? Yeah. Because, I, mean, I mean, what you're describing seems to me to be just part of the human condition. Like, you, you can't really escape from your own life. You can't escape from who you are. Does that feel true to you?
1: Yeah, but I think some people change. You know, if you're aware of your weaknesses, you could try to avoid that weakness later on, you know, try to compensate for it some other way. Um, I'm stubborn. I mean, I'm open to other ideas, but I always feel like I know best. I want to be the dictator of my own life, you know. Maybe Santiago's the same way. (laughs) ¶¶
0: Thank you, Mary Gidley, for sharing her story at the snap. Now, Mary just released a memoir. It's titled Point to Point. She still loves being on the water, and Mary is still single.
1: There's no dog, and there's no man. Sorry.
0: You can learn more about the Akali experiment and the incredible documentary. It's called The Raft. Can see a completely different side of the story that you just heard, here from Mary and other participants, is they relive this experiment on a life-size recreation of The Raft. We highly recommend it. Highly.
1: How often do you I don't count. <laughs> With whom have you had sexual contact? Many, many, everybody.
0: The Raft that opened in theaters in the US last year and starts streaming in the US in May. On digital platforms everywhere, special thanks to the director, Marcus Lindine The original score for that story was by Leon Morimoto. It was produced by John Facile. return find out what happens when a man falls in love with a woman and her fungus stay tuned Snap Judgment, the Wrath of Passion episode. My name is from Washington. Snap is today, we have a special treat for you. See, when our friends over at the podcast love me. When they share stories, we listen. And yes, they make stories about love, as you may have guessed, but generally, they don't buy with the boy meets girl thing, no. Now, their love stories come from a completely different place, like our next piece. It's about a man... A woman and a spore. Snap judgment. The story does deal with some adult situations. As such, listener discretion is advised.
3: It was raining very hard that day.
4: I remember her nice bright yellow coat.
3: I told you that the rain is one of the things that makes the fungus grow. And you said, wow, is it growing right now? Can I see it?
4: When I met Linda, I felt something stirring inside myself for the first time in a long while. It turns out there was something stirring inside Linda too.
3: In Italian, the word fungo means fungus mold, and mushroom. And my thing is all three.
4: Linda has a fungus that lives in her knee.
3: I was in Thailand in 2004. I was hit by the tsunami. My leg was torn apart by a piece of wood. And somewhere, somehow, this bloody fungus that usually lives in the seawater found its way inside my knee bone.
4: But no doctor could remove it. It was a story she had told a thousand times, the quick version to explain the scars on her legs.
3: I'm used to hearing the whole oh, poor little girl kind of reaction, but you didn't have it. You are curious
4: I wanted to know everything about Linda, the story behind each scar, the tragedy that the tsunami must have been, but I didn't know if she would let me in.
3: Healing from this, finding a way to keep the fungus quiet, became the most important thing of my life.
4: The first time we were intimate I had to be careful not to pull Linda's leg too high, not to push against the fungus, not to squash the scars too hard.
3: You see this long scar? From my knee to half of my shin, they open me from here to here. The fungus is made by countless spores and it's impossible to take them all away with surgery. And the knee is a place where it's hard for blood to carry the proper drug that could defeat it.
4: If Linda doesn't manage the fungus, it grows. And when it grows, it starts eating her knee and tibia tissue.
3: When I'm really sick, Loretta gets stronger.
4: Did I mention I named the Linda's Fungus Loretta?
3: Mm, remind me, why did you name her Loretta?
4: I got the name Loretta from Monty Python's Life of Brian that I saw at least 50 times in my teenage years while everyone else was out on dates. Some rebels are planning a riot and one of them comes out saying that he wants to be a woman. And then, proud of her new place in the world, she says From now on, I want want you to call me Loretta. Loretta can be a very cranky roommate. When it's humid outside, Loretta groans and stretches.
3: It feels like being blown up from the inside.
4: When Linda eats pizza, Loretta gets bloated from the yeast.
3: And I don't want my knee to turn into a loaf of bread.
4: Linda has to keep herself away from cakes, pastries, sweet, and everything that contains sugar
3: Otherwise the fungus will start to ferment
4: No mushrooms because they grow stronger together
3: And no white rice or potatoes because they have glucose
4: <laughs> Linda even had to give up her favorite hobby, salsa dancing, because Loretta isn't very athletic
3: and no wine. And in Italy, it means that I have to start an argument with the waiter every time I sit at a restaurant table.
4: Hanging out with Linda... I found out that she and I could never be alone.
3: Sometimes you thought I was pulling out Loretta just as an excuse because I didn't like you or I didn't want to do things with you. But it was just her. It was raining very hard that day.
4: The air was full of water.
3: When random people found me after the tsunami, I was sitting completely naked on a mattress that had been taken away by the wave. I rescued myself by climbing on it, pulling myself out of the water. I was trying to shout help but a toneless whiffle was coming out from my mouth.
4: Someone carried her through the wreckage to a hotel.
3: It was one of the very few buildings left standing after the wave passed through the island.
4: Her legs were devastated by open wounds. One of her rescuers brought her a muddy bedsheet so she could cover her body
3: somewhere somehow this bloody fungus that usually lives in the seawater found its way inside my knee bone Loretta You see this long scar from my knee to half of- after I got back to Italy it took me 5 years to walk again to become confident in my legs to accept my scars, and to feel normal again. (laughs) They opened me from here to here. My leg became the test for my potential relationships, letting people get closer if I felt they could make my life easier, and pushing them away when I thought they were not brave, patient or understanding enough to handle what I was going through.
4: Sometimes I water the plants on Linda's balcony, and I find some little mushroom in the plant's soil. It happened a couple of times that I started talking to them like a jealous father protecting his teenage daughter, saying, Loretta isn't home, go away, she has to study, she doesn't have time for you, mushroom boys. But sometimes, even Loretta needs a bit of fun.
3: Oh-ho, what do we have here?
4: It's our anniversary. And after a lot of research, I found the most suitable cake for Linda to eat. It's an adaptation of the
3: traditional Torta Tenerina.
4: Chocolate, eggs, no yeast, just spring, brown.
3: Okay. I spent seven years of my life trying to get rid of my fungus, even if I knew I had to live with it inside me forever. But since you gave her a name, when Loretta knocks on my knee or starts to hurt me, I try to find a way to get along with her. Maybe she's not so evil. She's not the one who tore open my leg. She just crawled in there, looking for a home
4: Loretta found a home in Linda's knee and a home is what I've also found a home with a smart, brave girl living inside a fancy bright yellow raincoat in the closet some plants to water on the balcony and an oven to bake a cake once in a while to make life sweeter for both of them. To make life sweeter for all three of us: Linda, Linda Loretta, Loretta, and me. La torta è
0: Big love to the happy couple and to Loretta the fungus. Thanks so much to the folks at the Love Me podcast. Subscribe to them with a quickness. Thank you for sharing your story with Snap. The story was produced by Mira burt Wintonic, Crystal Duhame, and Jonathan Zenti. Find out more about the Love Me show and about Jonathan's show at SnapJudgment.org. And again, I know, snappers, I know. Do me a favor, if you will. If you dig snap storytelling, let somebody know. Wear your snap flag high on social media, at your book club. And if you see these young toughs down at the corner blaring their supposed music. You roll up and hit them with some snap, full blast. They can't know unless you teach them. If you missed even a moment, hit the amazing Snap Judgment podcast. That's right. get the podcast. that takes storytelling with you wherever you go. It's fun and easy. All that stuff you hate to do, laundry, dishes, your job, we'll do it with you. Follow Snap Judgment on Instagram, Snap Judgment Radio, for pictures of the underground layer and all that is Snap. Hit me directly on the Twitter, and I'll let you know what I really think. Snap is brought to you by the team that can make a cell phone out of a coconut. Give it up for the Uber producer, Gilligan Mark Ristich. The skipper, too. Pat McEnery Miller. Marissa, the millionaire Dodge. And her wife, John Facile, The movie star, Rizzo Gorio. Shayna Sheedy, the professor. Liz Marianne Mack. Here on Snap Judgment, i Special guest star, Elijah Smith. Wardrobe by Lauren Newsom. Transportation by Anna Sussman. Taylor Cot on catering. Flo Wiley handles our security. Nancy, stunt double Lopez. Leon Rocho on logistics. While Nicka Singh does makeup. Well, this is not the news. No way is this the news. In fact, you could book a 10-day, 11-night luxury cruise vacation through the Azores. Only to turn up. At the dock to see a guy named Jerry sitting on a four by five foot wooden raft and recall the ad did say no refunds. And you would still still not be as far away from the news as this is, but this is W N Y C